Well, tonight we continue um, going through 2 Peter, and we have come to chapter 2. We'll be looking at uh, verses 1 through 3 today. Uh, you'll find it on page 1018 in your pew Bible if you have, if you're using a pew Bible. That's on page 1018. Again, it's 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. The Word of God says, But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed they will exploit you with false words, their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. Heavenly Father, again, we ask that you would guide our thinking this evening as we hear your word. It is our desire to know you and to grow in the knowledge of our Lord, and so we ask that you would indeed bring that about even now for your purposes and for your glory. It's your name, in our Lord's name we pray, amen. It's an awesome thing to reflect on the fact that God created the world through the vehicle of words. Let there be, he said, and there was creation. It was in essence a miracle, one that God brought about through his word. You know what else is a miracle? Your status, our status before God in Christ. The Bible teaches us that we were born spiritually dead, and, and those of us who are in Christ were raised from that state to a new life. New creations, as stated in, in 2 Corinthians 5. All this is articulated to us through, you guessed it, God's word. It is his revelation to us. Through his word, we understand that he, the Father, gave us the body of Christ to his son before the world even existed. We know that redemptive history started with a word of promise. The proto-evangelium, we call it, the first gospel. It's found in Genesis 3.15. We know that the arrival of Jesus in time and space, the fulfillment of all the requirements of the law, his death, burial, resurrection, and ascension, were all in fulfillment of what was promised in Genesis 3.15. We notice how? Again, through God's word. So you see, what I'm trying to get us to see here and understand right now is that the word of God is central to everything. Generally in creation, the heavens declare the glory of God, specifically in revelation, in specific revelation, in everything, in all things, the word of God is central. Through his word, we understand all these things. We know that the arrival of, of Jesus, again, in time and space, we know all that. The same breath that breathed man, breathed breath into man and made him a living soul is the same breath that is providing us the spiritual food that's called the word of God, the word that's necessary to sustain and to carry us, or as it is written, all scriptures breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped 
for every good word. So see, the word of God is central to every single thing. So as we give consideration to our text, it should not surprise us that what's being said comes on the heel of, of Peter speaking about the centrality of God's word, the coming and work of Christ and the work of the Holy Spirit and the production and delivery of God's word. It shouldn't surprise us either because the pattern was right there in the Proto-Evangelium. There in addition to being told that the seed of the woman would bruise or crush the seed of the serpent, we were told that the seed of the serpent would bruise the heel of the seed of the woman, and that is Christ. And who is that old serpent but the one whom Jesus in John 8 described as a murderer from the beginning, one who does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, Jesus said, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Notice Jesus says that the serpent was a murderer. Again, that's in John 8. Now, let me ask you, how was or is he a murderer? The answer is he's perverted, twisted, distorted, and misrepresented God's word in Adam and Eve's hearing to accomplish his own ends. The same thing that you'll see in this particular passage. In John 8, Jesus said to the religious leaders, you are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. Now, Peter, in our passage, doesn't go as far back as I did, but I wanted you to understand that the same dynamic has been in effect from the beginning of redemptive history and will continue to exist until the day of our Lord. So I might have gone back further than Peter, but our aim is the same. Peter wants us to, to be able to recognize the actions and the character of the false teachers to discern that which is unbecoming of a true purveyor of God's word and to know the end of those who refuse to submit themselves to the lordship of Christ. And so to accomplish his aim, he goes about the business of expounding on the actions and character of the false teachers. Now, folks, this is not a feel-good passage. This is not a feel-good sermon, not by any stretch of the imagination, but it is one that we should give careful attention to. It is one that the body of Christ has to and needs to hear and is one that if you, unless you're preaching expositorily, you're probably going to pass over, okay? But with those thoughts in mind, I'd like us to look at this passage through the lens of three overarching headings. Peter wants us to know that these false teachers exist, so know that they exist. He wants us to know their actions and their characteristics. That's the second. And then he wants us to know their end. So first, know that they exist. As I mentioned, Peter is not going back to Genesis when he says, but false prophets arose among the people. But he's definitely going back to the Old Testament and alluding to the false prophets that were among the Jews. Way back in Deuteronomy 13, for example, we find these words being communicated from God to his people. If a prophet or dreamer of dreams arises among you, and gives you a sign or a wonder, and the sign or wonder which he tells you comes to pass. And if he says, let us go after other gods, 
which you have not known, and let us serve them, you shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams. For the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. In Deuteronomy 18, 20 through 22, we hear, but the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name that I have not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in the name of other gods, that same prophet shall die. And if you say in your heart, how may we know the word that the Lord has not spoken? When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the word does not come to pass or come true, that is a word that the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You need not be afraid of him. I can't find too many of these guys that are willing to uh, submit themselves to this test, by the way. So fact is, there was an abundance of false prophets throughout Israel's history. In many cases, when God pronounced judgment through his prophet, the false prophets would instead proclaim, peace, peace, says the Lord, but there was no peace. So Peter here is saying, don't be surprised in your day and age. Don't be surprised, this is nothing new. Just as there were false prophets or foretellers then, there'll be false teachers. Notice false prophets to false teachers or foretellers now. And so here's what you should know about them, he says. Our second point, which is going to be articulated in six different items. So under this heading, their actions and, and characteristics, the first thing you see in our text is they come in secretively. That's verse 1. Jude says it this way. They crept in unawares. These folks, in other words, did not come in wearing a badge of her heresy on their chest or, or spouting it from their mouths. These folks, these false teachers, brothers and sisters, they come through your new members class. They attend your conservative seminaries. They become good members in good standing of presbyteries or other governing bodies. And based on what we know and have already heard, this should not surprise us. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says concerning them in 2 Corinthians 11, 13 through 14. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also describe themselves as servants of righteousness. They're wolves in sheep clothing, biding their time until the proper opportunity arises to introduce their venom, here referred to as destructive heresies. The second item to note, their doctrine is heretical. Verse 1, still, Posing as true shepherds, these men introduce destructive heresies or, or literally translated as heresies of destruction. The word translated as destructive here means utter ruin and points to the final and eternal condemnation of the wicked. So the actions of these men have utterly disastrous consequences, both for them and the people who choose to follow them. They're taking people to hell. The worst absolute fate there is. They're doing no less than leading people to hell. 
turning folks away from the truth of Scripture, the way of life, and leading them down paths of unrighteousness for their own name's sake. At its base, the word heresy denotes an opinion. It's a self-willed opinion substituted for one's own submission to the power of truth. The truth of God is not their concern. Their own opinion and feelings are. Listen, the age we're in is ripe for this sort of deception. And folks, and I'm, I'm talking about folks in churches. Folks in churches are more prone to living through the grit of their feelings and emotions and their wants than they're committing themselves, than they are to committing themselves to living uh, in a Christ-centered, through a Christ-centered worldview. That being the case, many, like Paul stated in 2 Timothy 4.3, will gather themselves to teachers who will tell them what they want to hear and not the truth that they need to hear. These men distort the truth for reasons that I will expound on later, but no, make no mistake about it, they're distorting the truth and they're doing it purposely. In 2002, and I read this and I was shocked, in 2002, Greg Johnston wrote a book on biblical manhood and womanhood. If you were to read what he writes and says today, and then look back at what he wrote back then, doing so without knowing who wrote or said the things that were being said, you would think that it's two completely different people speaking or writing. I'm talking about the face of this side B Christianity foolishness that's among us. And this is so even though he claims that the, the side B struggles that he's engaged in has always been his experience. And when you listen to him and others who are supporting the position he holds on sexuality, you find that most of what they're saying is grounded in feelings, in emotions, in opinions, and platitude, just like Peter is saying here. And notice, they, just like false teachers, that the false teachers that Peter is writing about, they don't always openly oppose the gospel. They, in fact, claim to fully embrace it. But then when you hear them speak, when you look at their blogs, when you look at the way they communicate with other people in, in different forums, you find out that there's a subtle or sometimes easily discernible departure from what the Word of God actually communicates on a given issue. And it is not hard, I would hope it's not, to see what it is in this particular situation. Joel Osteen, yep, you had to know I was going there. He's a known face among this mess. He currently has more than 30,000 members in his church. He's famously quoted as saying there are many ways to heaven. He also asserts that they don't preach about sin because it's a hindrance to folks. Folks, you cannot know who God is and what your need is unless you know who you are in terms of in relation to God, that you are a sinner in need of grace. And so if all you hear is the forces within you, you can get up in the morning and choose how you want your day to be. That is not the gospel. T.D. Jakes, African-American, 15,000 members in this church, movies, let me tell you something. You know, I'm going to share this on purpose with some of my family members. And so if you don't see me, know that they tried to kill me, okay? <laughs> but T.D. Jakes is loved, made movies all over the place. He's a modalist. 
You know what a modalist is off of Sabellianism? That's a person who says that there is no trinity, but God the Father turns into God the Son, turns into God the Holy Spirit, depending on what needs to get accomplished. That is a heresy. That is false teaching. And I don't care how much he talks about how much God wants to help people and how they need to pull themselves up and all this other stuff. He is not preaching the word of God when he says those things. Peter goes on to say that false teachers deny the master. Our third subheading, they deny the master. The third item, rather. These folks claim to belong to Christ, but they deny his right to be sovereign over them. He is not their Lord. Hence, if, if he is not their Lord, they have no duty to submit to him. Mind you now, these folks might not be outwardly, they might not outwardly deny Christ's deity, his atonement, his resurrection, or the second coming. But don't let that fool you. They will not truly submit their lives to the sovereignty of God. And this shouldn't surprise us if we believe Jesus' word concerning them. That is that they belong to their father, the devil. After all, we know that the scriptures communicate the fact that Satan and his minions believe in God. But how many of them are going to repent and submit to him? And so if Satan is their daddy and living after the, they're living after his character, how do you expect them to do anything differently? Here I'm reminded of Jesus' word. How can you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things that I command? Rick Warren, senior pastor of Saddleback Church, the biggest church in the Southern Baptist Convention, the biggest evangelical denomination in the United States, and the author of the incredibly famous book, The Purpose Driven Life. Last year, he ordained three women. Now, women, let me make sure I say this clearly. Women are gifted and can do all sorts of stuff. But in the body of Christ, God has given roles to people. And the women in this church do an incredible job of the roles that God has given them. Let me make sure that's clear. Because I think that one of the reasons why women are aspiring to do things that men do is because men don't put them, don't say things and, and look at the things and value the things that God is doing through women who God is using powerfully, okay? So having said that, he ordained three women, which I would tell you is completely against Scripture. And he stood up because I listened to his tape of the ordination of these women. I listened to her excerpt it in. And he stood up and he said that he was not going to follow the tradition of men. He was not going to follow culture in his decision to ordain these women. He said that he was going to follow, get this, the word of God. Now, what part of the word of God is what I wanted to know? Because I kept listening and waiting for him to give me an exegetical uh, description of what he was talking about, but it never came. You know why it never came? Because he can't defend that position. Because he's doing something based on his own want and his own desire, not what the Bible or God, the God of the universe is saying to him. So he's not, in that sense, submitting himself to the sovereignty of God. And in the, the case of the false teacher, because it says Jesus, God who bought them, it's not saying that they're saved. It's pointing out the fact that all of us have a responsibility to submit to the, to the Lord, to the king, in the same way Israel 
was bought by God, but not everyone in Israel was saved. Same thing, okay? So it's not saying that they're saved. So in my mind then, going on, denying the master can also come in the form of placing something ahead of Christ. Anything ahead of Christ, you're breaking the commandment, right? You're engaging in idolatry. So if you are looking at this side be foolishness and you are trying to place your identity in anything before Christ, it is wrong. And if you continue to move in that direction and you continue to teach people that foolishness, that might be a sign that you're not who you say you are. Okay? Critical race theory. Critical race theory is an ideological framework from hell. It is antithetical to everything in scripture. If you want to know more about that, you can come see me on offline. But let me just say to you, if you are being led by guilt to accept that foolishness, I am telling you right now, cast it off. Cast it off, okay? And there's a host of other ideologies that are antithetical to scripture. You have to discern these things and discern that the people who are teaching these things are teaching falsely and leading you and misleading you. The fourth thing Peter says is they're central and the sources of disrepute. Look at verse two, it reads, and many will follow their sensuality and because of them the way of truth will be blasphemed. These empty clouds, as Jude calls them, are sexually perverted. It's another key thing. The word sensuality is a strong word referring to habitual sexual immorality. Their lewdness is a strong word. I mean, it comes in many forms and extremes. Think about it. If scripture commands us to walk in the spirit, that is to submit ourselves to the sovereignty of God, right? And if scripture commands us to do that so that we won't fulfill the lust of the flesh, even those who are in Christ, when you don't walk in the spirit, you're prone to walking in the flesh. How much more, <laughs> how much more those folks who don't have the spirit, how much more would those folks who don't have the spirit will indulge in it, right? They'll fulfill the lust of their flesh because they don't have the spirit. They have no unction to submit to the spirit. What is left but to indulge in the flesh? So you see it, those who are entrenched in their flesh and thus they're slaves to their passions, that's what we're told here. Listen to how these two verses describes them. For certain, this is Jude again. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation. Listen now. He's talking about false teachers in Jude. Ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality. Then that's Jude 4. Now Jude 7 links them to Sodom and Gomorrah. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire. Now, I don't know how many of you remember or knew about Jimmy Swaggart. Beyond Billy Graham, Jimmy Swaggart was like incredible in terms of evangelism and, and calling people to him and stuff like that. I mean, he had all kinds. He had 60,000 people in stadiums and stuff like that. But again, all you hear, and then you would hear him greedily talking about money and about other stuff. And guess what happened? 
He got caught up in two different sexual situations and he got exposed, okay? He got exposed. Bishop Eddie Long lives down the road. The church was down the road from where my father lives now. Again, well over 10,000 and something people. Same thing, prosperity gospel, saying all sorts of stuff that didn't match up with what I believe the gospel teaches. And sure enough, but again, if you ask him if Jesus was Lord, yes. If you ask him was Jesus was your Lord, yes. If you ask him a whole bunch of stuff, yes. He gets caught up in sexual immorality with boys. Someone that people was looking up to in that way with boys. In every case, is the same effect. Oh, the SBC, for that matter. Again, biggest denomination in the United States. Just released a scathing report regarding, a sexual, regarding sexual abuse within its church, its member churches, and the inactions, cover-ups, and other debauched actions taken by their leadership. What I'm saying is not done in a corner. Go look it up and you'll see. In every case, it has the same effect. Peter says it here. The way of truth will be blasphemed. Folks on the outside look at the church and say, yep, them Christians and their God, they can have it. They don't know that many of those folks don't belong to God, that they're literally Satan's people that he has throughout the pulpit throughout the United States. Am I saying that a true person cannot fall? I am not saying that. But I am saying that the majority of true people are kept by God's grace. And it's many of the false ones. And if you pay attention to what they preach and teach, you'll, you'll be able to weed through it and see it. Okay? They don't know that many of us folks, that it's folks who don't belong to God that's doing these things. All they know is that they profess to be Christian, therefore they are. And if it helps them to assuage people in the world that are fallen, that are looking for every excuse to hold on to their debauchery, if it assuages their consciences to point at art people that profess to be Christians, they do it all the time. Now, you might have heard me talk about this before, but I remember how Tullian Chavidian, the grandson of Billy Graham, came to South Florida and immediately took 300 members from the church that I used to attend. And he had this greasy grace antinomian, that's against law, way of preaching. I mean, people loved his preaching. They loved him so much that they called him from the church in New City to take over the church that Dr. D. James Kennedy, the church that planted the seminary that I attend, uh, went to. And he went to that church with 4,000 members preaching his greasy grace. And I remember the, 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 the writing was on the wall when our presbytery was dealing with what's called intinction. You know, the Lord's Supper is two separate elements. You don't combine them. But there are people that try to combine, combine the, the wine and the bread. That's called intinction. And I would say that that is not biblical. So we at Presbytery argued against that. And our liberal behind Presbytery came up with the fact that if you want to do that in your church, you can do that. But our Presbytery meetings, we're not going to do that. At the very next Presbytery meeting, we were meeting at Coral Ridge Presbyterian Church. And Tully and Chavidian did what? Serve communion by intention. Remember I talked about they deny the sovereignty of God and they do not submit to it? When he then was caught in two acts of adultery, okay? When he was then caught in one first, the other one was found out much later. But when he was caught in that, you know what he did? 
He said to the most liberal newspaper in all of Broward County, the reason I did it was because my wife did it first. He threw his wife under the bus. And he, instead of submitting to the presbytery, after we deposed him and assigned him to a, pres- a session in Miami, he left completely, and now he's pastoring a church. And how many of you want to bet what he's pastoring is not, is the same antinomian stuff? Oh, my goodness, it's seven. Let me rush through a little bit, okay? The next thing you hear is they're greedy. In their lust for money, they will concoct ways to separate you from your money. Benny Hinn and Creflo Dollar. I don't know if you guys know who these guys are. you got to know who Benny Hinn is. Man, 80,000 people in a miracle healing crusade uh, and all these sort of stuff going on, right? They both came out now and admitted that the prosperity gospel they touted is false. But how many people have been destroyed already? But Dean, can, anyone can tell that these guys are false. Really? If that's the case, why do they have thousands and thousands of members? Why did Ben Hinn travel all throughout the United States and have no less than 50,000 in the stadiums where he was traveling? Because people don't discerning that these people are false. And they're greedy. And then they're greedy, you know what they do? They lie and lie some more is what the text says. Their unquenchable desire to fill their coffers pushed them into engaging in one money-groping scheme after another. Here I again remind you of Jesus' own words concerning their father. He said Satan was a liar, and when he lied, he was acting in accordance with his character. And so it is with his minions. True story. A guest pastor came to the church that I first, the first church that I ever joined. He came to this church. We used to have miracle healing crusade and everything, folks, okay? He came to the church promoting a bottle of miracle healing water. He told the folks that he used to, that he put out a fire on a car that overturned on the highway with his miracle healing water. Mind you now, not like a fire hose, just like a sprinkle. And the fire went out. It was a miracle, okay? And he went on to talk about all these different miracles of healings and stuff that he did with people. Wow, Dean, you used to attend a church like that? Yep. <laughs> so... Guess what happened then? So he told all this stuff. At night, we had a night service. That's when the Miracle Healing Crusade was. The church was packed from front to back more than the church had ever been because people run after that kind of stuff. People run after that kind of stuff. There's an organization doing a pastor's aid committee meeting. I heard a pastor, the pastor tell members of the committee Uh, that they had to use psychology to get the people to give. One of the mothers, you know, traditionally in in those churches, you have what's called a motherboard. They all dress in white. They have white hat, and they sit in the front. So one of the mothers called that out about, you know, he said that we have to use psychology. And you know what he did? Was consistent. He lied and said he did not. I heard him say it. Others heard him say it. But he lied and said he didn't. And so it was all about raising money, by the way, not for the church, but for the pastor's appreciation day, where the pastor gets money, the pastor's driving around a $70,000 car, the average person in the congregation is making $9 an hour, and I'm going to leave it at that, okay? <clears throat> but it's the same church that was saying that women were not created in the image of God. They were built through man, and so on and so forth. 
You got to be able to discern and see these things. God opened my eyes to see these things, and I am telling you about that. Let me move forward real quickly and just skip forward to their end. That is the faith of the false teachers. All these things that you're seeing here, you have to kind of wonder, my goodness, because Ministry Watch, that's an organization that calls these people out, that reveals what these people are doing. But for every one person that's getting caught, for every one person that's getting disciplined or thrown out or whatever the case may be, there are a hundred more who are ripping people off, who are preaching false gospel, who are doing all sorts of stuff, and they're prospering, prospering. And you have to wonder what in the world is going on. How is, these people, how is it that they're prospering? How is it they're living large and in charge like that? It seems like they're living large and in charge. Well, I tell you what, it might seem that way. But here again, I re- I'm reminded of what Asaph said in Psalm 73. Asaph said his feet had almost stumbled and his steps had nearly slipped when he saw the prosperity of the wicked and their arrogance. But then he said when he went into the house of the Lord, he regained his perspective. And here in this passage, that is what Peter's doing. He's given us the same perspective that Asaph got. In verse 1, Peter tells us that they bring swift destruction upon themselves through the denial of the master. Here in the United States of America, a person can be on death row and they have a constitutional right, due process. They can be on death row for 15 years. Like what the purpose of having death row if you want to hinder stuff and have somebody on death row for 15 years? But the point is they can, they can appeal this, they can appeal that, they can go through all that. But when we deal with God, it's a swift destruction because he's perfectly just, knows all things. There's not going to be any due process that's going to last forever and ever. Their time is coming. Understand that. If you are incest like I am at the false teacher, know and understand that God will judge them. You pray for them to be converted. You pray for them to repent. But their destruction is coming and it's going to be swift. It might seem like it's tarrying, but be reminded of Peter's own words that we'll see in chapter 3. A day with the Lord is like a thousand years. He goes on to say their condemnation is alive and well. Know their judgment, as verse 3 tells us. Know this, that their judgment is alive and well. The principle that God is going to damn false teachers and is alive and is alive is, is well in keeping with the principles that's been laid out in Scripture, if you will. It's repeated throughout the Old Testament and is alive and well in the sense that it has been It hasn't been worn down. It hasn't gone out of style. It has not become ineffective. The false teacher has not found a way to get around the judgment of God. It is coming. Nothing has been done to mitigate the punishment set before them. Their end is coming, and as Jesus said, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Peter goes on to say the destruction is not asleep. Here the word destruction is personified as an executioner, an executioner who's wide awake, alert, and ready to pounce into action. Folks, if these folks aren't judged, remember this, think about this. If they're not judged, then God ceases to be just. 
And because he is just, and by his very nature, he's a God of truth, these folks will not, will indeed be judged. And that's the point that Peter's going to go on to make in, in verse 4 and 4. So let me quickly say this, some takeaways. Stay away from false teachers, folks. No, Carl teaches true. Christian teaches true. I'm not sure about Caleb yet. <laughs> Caleb absolutely teaches true. This church is grounded confessionally. That's a whole other thing that I can talk about. When you're grounded confessionally, you're connected to the grand tradition. Stay away from them. This old mantra about eat the meat and throw away the bones, don't eat or drink anything from them. Instead, discern their way, then expose them. And that's not me talking. That's Paul in Ephesians 5.11. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. If you're an intern or someone aspiring to teach God's people, you would do well to pay heed to Proverbs 1.7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Remember, the fools in our text deny the master and choose a path of their own making and teaching, or so they think. No, brothers and those of you who aspire to teach, what we need to do is beg the Lord for his mercy. It is only by the Lord's mercy, not by our ingenuity, our smartness, or anything that we are kept in the truth. It is by the grace of God. Beg him. Ask him as Solomon did. He, had, he offered Solomon the world, anything that he wanted. And Solomon said, give me knowledge. Give me wisdom. For what purpose? So I can rightly govern your people. And God gave it to him. That is the heart that we should have. That God would reveal his truth to us so that we can rightfully shepherd his people and be shepherding ourselves. That is the heart that all of us should have. Parents, you're teaching your children. Pray that God will feed you with the truth. All of us are taught and teach. All of us have to be careful and watch out for false teachers and ensure that we ourselves do not become one. There's a difference between teaching an error out of mistake or something to that degree, none of us are perfect, and being false and not submitted to our Lord. Let us submit to our Lord. Let us keep our eyes open and discern those things that are not of God and submit ourselves to those things that are. Amen? Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the descriptions that you've given us, uh, both Peter and Jude, in no uncertain terms, describe those who have no desire to follow you. That is not our testimony. Our testimony is that we want to follow you, we want to be used of you, we want to be used as vessels who are true in their orientation toward you. So would you grab hold of our hearts? Would you extend your mercies towards us? Would you keep us grounded in your word? If it's in of ourselves, we too would join those who are trying to fulfill their own lusts. May it never be so, but may your grace pour out upon us and keep us doing your work in the way you would have it to be done for your glory and your purposes. Extend yourself, reach down, condescend towards us, and keep us in your grace. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.